Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSF Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family. Today we will be talking about the injustice wound by interviewing me in this short. Enjoy. Hi, Anna. Hi, Christina. How's it going? It's going. It's going actually really good because we recorded all that Primal Wound stuff months ago. So you and I are actually fine, but our listeners might not be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Though I do find that it's, I mean, we recorded that in December. We're recording this now on February 22nd. And I've learned a lot actually that I'm kind of excited to update, particularly with regards to injustice. Um, it's funny how, you know, the primal wounds are not nearly as sharp for me anymore, but I'm also like putting it in the context of the villains now. So, you know, there's a lot of different things and human design and all sorts of stuff. So it's, it's, I, I appreciate that our listeners may be going through a lot. Right. Right. And also appreciate that we maybe aren't, and that's also okay. <laughs> It'd be so cool if we could send out like a survey monkey and just be like, how was listening to the primal wounds the second time around for you? If this is your second time, like, yes. was it less triggering or whatever? I, I just wish sometimes like we could have more of a understanding of, of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, so yeah, I'm going to talk about what's going on with injustice, if that's okay. That is not just okay. That is what we need to do today. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a lot of insight about injustice, which is interesting because we were going to originally have uh, somebody interview for the injustice wound, but we couldn't find any listeners who were either going in their primal space or you know, like that that was their primary primal wound. You're raising your hand. Why are you raising your hand? Because I, I think that I know why. <laughs> <laughs> why do you, why is that Anna why do you think that is we could not find an interviewee for injustice nor could we find an interviewee for humiliation and my theory is the humiliation wound is too humiliating for many to talk about and then with injustice my theory all along is that people with the injustice wound have the most complicated wound if it's their primary wound because they are the least self-reflective because they keep looking externally for what is right and wrong with the world and they're, they're like the last kind of people to apologize. They're the last kind of people to ever self-reflect because they're very safe in their rigidity. And because of it, the people whose primary wound is injustice 
we just, we're not going to, we're not going to hear from them. Like a couple friends who listen to the podcast have been like my boyfriend or my ex or my sister, whatever has their primary wound is injustice. And they're like, you hit the nail on the head. They never apologize, you know? So I think that's kind of why maybe that's just my theory. It's interesting. It's interesting. I might add another layer onto it, which which I think is, which is like kind of a different take on it. And I'm going to try and do this without, cause this is a short, so I'm not going to like go into the detail of kind of what I'm talking about as much as I can, like to kind of give you guys the context of what it is. You know, it's interesting too, cause it, I agree with you specifically with humiliation. I feel like the humiliation wound is so deep and everywhere. It's so endemic in like our entire culture like because to me the the humiliation wound is based off of hierarchy and I think that so much in our world is hierarchical I think the patriarchy is hierarchical so it's like a very interesting um thing that like everyone's just like yeah it, it's like the water that we drink as fish or the water that we're in as fish like it's just so much everywhere that it's hard to be like oh yeah I have this because everybody has it but when it comes to the injustice wound it's really interesting because I, I have since correlated, um, if you go back to our human design episodes, I've since correlated my resonance with the injustice wound. And if you guys will, you know, have heard about the injustice wound, that it, it is all about the throat chakra. And it's also all about the, um, like for me, it was like the first one that showed up. It was the one that had been showing up the most as I had kids. And for me, getting through the injustice wound was like the real heart for me getting into my body because I needed to start at the throat and go all the way down to the root. Like the last one that I touched on was humiliation. So for me, the first one was injustice. And if you go back to the human design episodes, I actually correlate the injustice wound with having an open splenic center, which um, is all about the fear that the kind of rug will be taken out from underneath you. It's like, there's like fundamentally a kind of fear of not trusting the world, not necessarily feeling safe in the world and feeling like the world is going to do you wrong, which really does match up with some of the kind of, I would say, deeper shadow parts of people with the injustice wound. I think that the mask of the injustice wound is that rigidity and not wanting to apologize and not wanting to do anything else. And I think that the deeper and deeper that you get into this wound, you recognize that the reason that people can't apologize and the reason that people are so rigid is because of the fact that they fundamentally do not trust the world to take care of them, which is also an indication of an open or undefined splenic center. And if you're an Enneagram person, which we won't get into, if you're a six in the Enneagram, same thing. I am a six in the Enneagram. So, you know, for me, I can give you an example of why this has been resonating and it's so appropriate that we're recording this today. I went no contact or low contact with family members, kind of in the very, the same thing that that has been happening a lot um, with millennial or Gen X kids cutting off or going low contact with their boomer parents. Like this is kind of a common thing that's been happening with a lot of people because as particularly the millennials are doing the work, they're recognizing that they need to protect their children from the same thing that happened to them, right? And what you're seeing is you're seeing that there are so many people who are in the boomer generation who are grandparents who are like, this is so unfair. Like you cannot deny me my grandchild. This is 
effectively my child, you know, or this is, you know, this is my right. Like I have every right to be with my grandchildren. And then they're starting to realize that in fact, that is not the case. They are not entitled to their grandkids, right? Like that, that there is a necessary level of acknowledgement, apology, you know, understanding the issue that's necessary in order to be able to to make it so that a, a millennial parent is actually safe and feels like it's okay to leave their child with the boomer parent, right? And that's really, really hard for a lot of boomers who basically were not taught that there was anything, you know, that they, they <laughs> there was this really funny thing the other day. And it was like, if the boomer parents back in the 80s were like, back when I was a kid, we didn't have any TV and we didn't have any whatever, right? You know, like they were like, they would try and like compare situations that the millennial parents now are saying, back when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to have emotions, right? Like that's like the joke, right? Is that is that millennial kids weren't really allowed to have emotions. It wasn't okay to emote and to do all these different things. And so it makes sense that there's a reckoning that's coming up. And so for me, I felt so much injustice for so long about, because I felt so fundamentally unsafe in the world because of my upbringing. I never knew. I always felt like I was the one who was wrong. I always felt like I was the one who was in this position where I had to be, that that I was always constantly apologizing for everything, which is why it feels that it's different than the injustice wound. But this is almost like a counter injustice wound, which I feel like it comes from the same place. I just was like, this is not fair. I don't want my kids to grow up in a place where they fundamentally feel unsafe or fundamentally feel like there's something that is wrong with them that, you know, they're not allowed to express their emotions or that just even the most basic thing they are doing is going to be criticized and they're going to be yelled at. And, you know, that there's some form of abuse that's going to happen as a result of them kind of just doing things that they normally do. And it's there and it's triggering the their caretakers. Right. And, and so for me, I chose to go, you know, I felt a lot of difficulty with creating a boundary because for me, I am very loyal. I feel like that's part of my injustice wound. That's part of being a six in the Enneagram. Again, it's like, I'm very, very loyal to people. And I find it very difficult to create boundaries with people who I love. Like I love people and I, and I don't want to create boundaries. I want to be totally open-hearted and totally able to do that. And that includes all of my family members. I want to be totally loving and totally open-hearted with them. And so for me, the combination of being very open-hearted and loyal with someone and also trying to match that with creating a boundary was so hard for me. What also contributed to that was, you know, I've, I've told this story before this relates to this is that when I was six, you know, my, <laughs> I, I tried to create a boundary with my mother in my head by basically saying, I don't want to spend time with my mother. And then she died two months later. And so for me, you know, the creation of a boundary with somebody who I genuinely just love, which is almost, which is so many people, I love so many people. And so the idea of creating a boundary to me was either going to lead to something catastrophic or it felt like it wasn't loving. And then coming around to the story, I went low contact as a result of re-experiencing some of the traumatic behavior that I had experienced as a child. And I was able to see it as an adult with all the tools I have now and with all the healing I've done and just be like, oh, I see this for what this is. And I made a really hard line. 
I made a super hard line. I was like, low contact, can't see him. And if you do, you know, this is, this is what's going to happen as a result of it. And a lot of time passed and not much happened. And it was really, really hard for me because I felt that I was finally creating a boundary and I felt so good about that boundary because it was like the first time I'd ever done it. But then I started to realize that there was nothing happening because I created it, right? I couldn't see any movement. I couldn't see any change as a result of this boundary that I created. And I felt so, I felt like, okay, apparently, you know, denying grandkids isn't enough. I was going to ask, did you think that creating the boundary was going to like teach them a lesson, make them reflect yes. or, or were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is a very, uh, that's a very, like, I feel like rudimentary boundary maker, someone who's not good at making boundary boundaries with people that they love. That's a very kind of, it's, it's an early mistake that I think a lot of people make because they think that their boundary is supposed to change the behavior of the other person. And that is fundamentally not what a boundary is. A boundary is all about, I'm going to create this boundary and I'm going to change if you try to cross that boundary, right? It doesn't ever say that the other person's supposed to change. That's not boundary creation. Boundary create, like if you create a boundary to make another person change, you are just creating another level of codependency. You're just calling it something different, right? You're trying to fundamentally fix this other person with a boundary and that's not what's going to happen. And so for me, I had to adjust my understanding of this, right? And I had to under uh, to kind of start to adjust to recognize that like that the that the fundamental love that I had, you know, and and the the denial and the de you know denying them this access to my kids was a really, really difficult thing. And so it was difficult for me. It was difficult for them, and it was difficult for my kids. Because my kids didn't really understand, like they had felt some, they, they had maybe felt something here or there, but they had, they fundamentally did not understand what it was that I was talking about. So to them, they didn't, they didn't understand. I mean, I even tried to, I, I kind of tried to explain it, but in the, in the way that kind of painted it, that said, this is mommy's issue. And mommy wants to make sure that I'm keeping you guys as safe as possible, you know, with this understanding. So a lot of, a lot came out of this. This was over almost a year and a half, Right of me kind of being like, oh, maybe I should take back this boundary because they aren't actually changing. And then me being like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I need to keep this boundary. And this is the most important thing ever that I keep this boundary. And then I started to get some feedback and that feedback really helped me a lot. Where I thought nothing was happening was not the case at all. There was actually a lot that was happening. There was a lot of self-reflection that was happening. There was a lot of pressure that was being put on. And in the very classic way that, th that, that this happened, there was no communication about that that was happening, right? Like I wasn't able, like, you know, I created this barrier and I wasn't able to see that movement was happening on the other side. And so I had a really big moment with myself that my rigidity in creating this boundary and expecting them to change, it was actually having an effect and that I could see it in myself to be like, okay, the, the, the repercussions of this boundary are affecting a lot of different things. And I want to see if I can readjust this in a way that feels like it's safe for my kids. It's safe for me. 
and it still allows growth and movement. How did you know that change was happening? So I had a talk, right? And was, you know, and and it was funny because it wasn't, you know, (laughs) I was talking to kind of the liaison in the entire situation who was kind of relaying the information and kind of was almost like the bridge, the low contact bridge. And, you know, he started to reveal stuff that he just, you know, it took a long time in the conversation. Oh, it was like almost over an hour before any of this information came out, but it was stuff like recognizing the struggle and recognizing the, you know, the, the effect that it did have. Right. Like, like I said, not emotive at all. Like I, I feel like I'm being very like vague and I'm trying to protect, but I am also trying to protect with the understanding of like, I feel like I can convey to you guys where I came from in this position and how I evolved from this position of boundaries that expected the other person to change. And then recognizing that for me, I could adapt and move this boundary, still maintain the safety of my children and not have such a punitive stance on it. Because when I first created that boundary, it was punitive. That is the hallmark of my injustice wound. And it always has been. Everything has to be fair. And if it's not fair, somebody has to pay. There has to be like some, something has to make this right. Something has to make this equal. Something has to make this, there has to be as much pain on the other side as there is on this side. That has always been the hallmark of how my injustice wound has shown up. And so for me, I needed to go into myself and take away the punitive part. And as soon as I took away that punitive part, as soon as I forgave that, as soon as I like kind of took away the need to punish the other person and to punish the other side and see them suffer. And also when I started to recognize that they were probably just going to be suffering and never tell me, right, that I wasn't privy to that information, right, because I had created a boundary. I wasn't a safe person that could hear the stories of how much this person was suffering as a result of what I did. And so for me, I just started to realize that like me creating this boundary as a punishment was not where I needed it to go. It wasn't making it permeable. It wasn't making it able to evolve and it wasn't making it, um, you know, it wasn't taking my responsibility for what I had done on the other side. And so as of today, my kids are now officially in this, in this place with these, you know, with, they are officially kind of no low contact. They're kind of regular as much contact as they can be when people live in completely different States. But like, how long are they there for like four or five days? Um, and I did make a, I did make a, 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 a I said only 48 hours. That's what I said. The, that was like my really strict one. Like first it was no at all. And then it was like only four eight hours. And now it's this time. So I have two questions for you about the boundary. Yeah. One is how will you know if the boundary was crossed because you're not there to supervise? Yes. And number two, how will you enforce the boundary if it is crossed, so to speak? So one of the things that changed in this entire experience is that as much as there is still a kind of closed, like closed off, not communication, there has been a lot more straight to the point directness about exactly what the problem is for years there was literally no acknowledgement that there was even a problem 
And now it's very, very clear what the, the, what the problem was. And the person who's my liaison is, is in charge of making sure that this gets upheld and they recognize that they will, they, they will have another withdrawal again, if this gets crossed. Are you going to interview your kids to like, make sure? So no. And that's, and that's the other thing I've done. The other thing that I've done in the year and a half that's gone is that I feel as if I've had very open conversations with my kids about what is acceptable behavior and what is not, because ultimately the rigidity of me trying to protect my kids from a world that I ultimately cannot protect them from. I mean, I can, you know, like me not equipping that, equipping them to be able to handle people who dearly love them, but, but have other things going on and can't like handle that thing, you know, like, like have mental health issues or have whatever you want to call it, um, you know, overstimulation issues, like that is something in a person that they will come across in their life. And if they can understand that, you know, we still love each other and we do our best and we, we don't do this closed thing that I did for years. I feel like that more than anything was the worst problem, right? Was the fact that like, I experienced this, somebody else experienced this. There was, he said, she said, she said, she said, you know, there was all sorts of stuff going on and there was never clear communication about what was going on. And I feel like now there is clear communication. And I also have, feel like as I've equipped my kids to, to handle this. And I feel like that's the best possible thing that I can do for my kids. Some people may listen to this and be like, I can't believe that you let your kids go into that position again. And I'll be like, I'd be like, okay, so if I'm supposed to shelter them to the point where like, I feel that their maturity and that the conversations, the open conversations that we have, I feel as if my kids are equipped and I feel that if something does happen, I can have a conversation with them and say like, okay, I'm so sorry that you felt this way. This is what's going to happen as a result of it. But what was happening before was that basically they didn't understand why this boundary was being created. Right. They, they kind of were just like, this is weird. Why don't we have a relationship with this person anymore? It was strange. If it does shift, then it's going to be something that is actually me seeing that I'm protecting them directly as a result of it. I don't think anything's going to happen either. And then just to clarify for our listeners, we're not talking about like severe physical, emotional, or sexual yes. abuse. We're talking yes. about criticism. Thank you. Right. That's you, you exactly wouldn't right. Put, you wouldn't put your children in the, the first three things I said, you wouldn't put them in that situation. Never. You're putting them in the situation where they might be criticized by someone. Yes. Which little bit, you know, what does they say? Death by a thousand cuts. I mean, with enough exposure to that over time could be just as bad as severe abuse, but like, we're not talking about you putting your children in the home of a pedophile, for example, like Absolutely anyone listening, not. please understand that Christina is putting her children in a place where they may or may not get a very mild, low dose of criticism, but in the long term, it can be very harmful, which is what happened to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Am I, that, am I yeah. correct in saying that, this? Cause I, I want to clarify that you are very, you're protective when you need to be. That's Cause exactly I, I just, I kind of want to like empower your decision, but I want to clarify that you would never put your children in direct harm's way. No, no. And I'm really glad you did clarify that because I have been ambiguous because I'm wanting to convey kind of, you know, to summarize again, kind of what I'm saying is that like, for me with my, the way that my injustice wound shows up, it shows up with the need for punitive and revengeful and vengeful 
acts. And that comes from a lot of different places. And for me, the healing of my injustice wound fundamentally, and, and, and in this case, using a boundary as a punitive act. For me, when I was able to look at that punitive need, the need for punishment, the need for revenge, the need to, to strike out and lash out as a method to try and make the tables equal as a way to kind of make everything okay again, when I was able to forgive that in myself, I recognized that I was not going about this in a way that could be healed. And I was not going about it in a way that was going to allow for healing on the other side either. And so I think that I completely respect people who have gone low and no contact um, between generations. This is not to say that that, and, 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 and in the cases that Anna's talking about, if it's actual abuse in that respect, like if it's that sort of thing, then absolutely like that the, there is no question about no or low contact in my mind. But when it comes to something, uh, a behavior that created a, a complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is what I had, right? Um, which which was is death by a thousand death by cuts. by a thousand cuts. You know, I feel as if empowering my children to be able to, to go out into the world and, and, and recognize and hold both truths. I can love this person and I can also create a boundary with them that isn't punitive is everything. So, you know, I, it, it's a, it's a funny thing, right? Because in the end, I don't know if I'm making the right decision and it's so hard to be a parent and to be like, okay, this is the right, or this is the wrong. And I've been so blessed that everybody in my life has been so supportive of whatever it is that I decide on any, I'm like, I'm doing this. And, and they're like, where's that boundary now? And I'm like, oh, it's here. Like Anna's asked me, like, she just asked the reason we talked about this today. I was going to talk about a slightly different version of the injustice wound. But the reason we talked about this is she's like, oh, so you're, you're not low contact anymore. Right. Like, cause that's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah. I was talking to your husband. He's like, I'm at the airport dropping the kids off with so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, um, oh, so I guess Christina lifted the boundary. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that the boundary is still present for me, right? So that I'm still low contact. And that is something that I need to come to. I know I'm going to heal that by the time, you know, probably in the next five years. Like, I just know it's going to be something that I'm able to come to. I haven't come quite come to that yet. Can I give an opportunity for my kids to, to understand the nuance of behavior and to equip them to be able to stand up for themselves in ways that I never could? Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, um, we'll see, we'll see. There's no, there's no manual book with kids. It's a tango right. dance and you'll take a step and you'll see if that was the right thing to do. And if it is, you'll take a step forward or not, you take a step backward. So that's it. That's it. Just and going to see how the music goes. Yep. And I think that for anybody who may or may not be aware of their injustice wound, I think that really looking at the the punitive nature of your boundaries or the punitive nature of your actions is a good place to start. I think that, I think that recognizing the rigidity 
that exists as a way to, you know, there's one thing there's, there's rigidity in a boundary that keeps you safe, which is something that should always be maintained. And then there's the rigidity of a boundary because you don't know how to go forward because you don't know how to go into that space because you don't trust yourself in that space. That's a really, really good indication that something's going on here, right? You don't trust yourself to be able to do the right thing, or you don't trust yourself to be able to not, um, you know, betray yourself or, or do anything, abandon yourself or any of those things. So, so those are my thoughts on the injustice one. Do you have any other thoughts, Anna? Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of times that I've put down boundaries and it's funny because I had to like actually come to that today, this morning Yeah, you with did. you mm-hmm. is that Christine is having a birthday party and someone who I don't feel safe around is going to be there. And I like really thought I could be the bigger person and be in the same room as them and celebrate Christina. And then like, as we get closer and closer to the days, I'm like, you know what? I am. Christina deserves to have a birthday party where all everyone wants to do is have fun and celebrate her. And me like biting my tongue and clenching my fist is not going to be that vibe. So yeah, even I felt like really guilty about it, but I was like, I'm going to have to just uh, revoke my RSVP, but then we're going to go have brunch the weekend yes. before, which is yes. your actual birthday weekend. And so I get yeah. to celebrate you without having to break a boundary that I feel like I need to enforce. Right. And I think that if I were to reflect with myself to my desire to have both of y'all at the party is so hard for me, but I also need to create a boundary of no drama. Right. Like I genuinely do. Right. Cause I don't want to, I would be tracking y'all the whole time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what else to say about injustice. I guess it's it's a tricky one. We want everything to be fair, right? We want everything to be fair. And <laughs> we want, yeah, we just want everything to be fair. And we want there to be equity and then we want there to be justice and we want there to be, you know, and for whatever reason, um, yeah. Can I just tell you the most crazy thing? <laughs> because he wants, they want me to tell you this. This is so funny. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like, a, I'll, I'll say it's like a trigger warning for anyone who gets triggered by the idea of menses and drinking your own blood. Anna's Which is face. me. I'm, I'm in that category of people who are horrified by that. But you can tell the story because I can have a strong stomach. Let's go. Okay. It was... There was a there was a TikTok that I came across the other day and it was so fascinating to me because it was some it was a story about a woman who was told that there was an ancient practice in which this practice would happen, basically, that that there would be an ingesting of menses um in order to as a, like a ritualistic pra- practice, right? And um, and so the woman described how she had done that practice and how it was crazy because right after she did it. There was all this magnetism and there were all these people just like yelling at her from across the street and just being like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. And just like her magnetism just went like way, way up. And then she told the story about a um, a dom, a dominatrix who made her sub 
him, she made her sub drink the blood, her blood. And she became obsessed with her sub and her sub got all the power in the relationship. Like he was no longer the submissive one. He was like, he became the dominant one and she became totally obsessed with him. And so like, it was like this warning to like, don't, um, don't give away your power because this is a power. And I was like, wouldn't it be so funny if like the key to overthrowing the patriarchy was this practice that like the whole time we've been like throwing this away, but actually if we just like did this practice, all of a sudden we could be magnetic enough and powerful enough to just like throw over the patriarchy. That was my funny thought. This I like literally said that to my husband in bed and he was like, he, he, he does the thing he always does, which is just like, uh-huh, that's great. Christina. <laughs> and then probably says something snarky to the same again. Anna's face. Guys, if I could show you Anna's face right now. <laughs> so maybe the yeah, sign of, it's a of, waste. of overthrowing my, the injustice in the world is to do that. Mm -hmm. It's it's a waste product in my mind. It's not fresh blood. It's a waste product. It it's mm. It's old epithelial cells flushing out. It's waste. It's not alive and it smells and it's just grossing me out to no end, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. I really hope that everybody left the episode who needed to by the end of this. Not <laughs> Can I? Can I go back in time and leave? <laughs> and if you're interested, you just email me at this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. And I will be happy to tell you more. <laughs> but don't email Anna. Don't talk to <laughs> Do her about Do not it talk to me about this topic. <laughs> I'm putting up a boundary, which means if you do... I will just sit there with a sour face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody. All right, thanks, y'all. And remember... Humility... Gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.